0: You are listening to a podcast from Essendon Presbyterian Church in Melbourne. Recorded 6pm on July 9th, 2023. Presented by Rev. Bill Medley. Apologies for audio, we'll fix it in one minute. Verses 16 to 33. Jesus says, A little while, and you will not see me and again a little little while, while, and you will see me, because I go to the Father. father. Then some some of his disciples said among themselves, What is this this? that he says to us a little while, and you will not see me, me. and again a little while, and you will see me, and because I go to the Father? father. They said, Therefore, "Therefore, what is this that he he says says a little while? while. We do not know what he's saying. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, are, you, Are inquiring you inquiring among yourselves about what I, what I said? A little while, and, little while, and you will not you see me? And again a little while, and you will see me? Most no, so assuredly I say to you, you say say that you will weep and lament, lament, but the world, but the will, world rejoice, will rejoice and you will be, you will be sorrowful, sorrowful, for your, your sorrow will be turned into joy. Turn into joy. A, woman, a woman when she is when in labour has sorrow because sorrow her hour has, hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. But The time is coming when I will speak no longer to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, See, now you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this time we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Indeed the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. (coughs) We need to pray first. Let's bow our heads. Father, we just pray you would speak to us through this passage of your word. And Lord, your your spirit would work in our hearts and all of us, myself included, would understand from you, Lord, your word and what you're saying to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus starts off by confusing the disciples with this, a little while you'll see me, and a little while again. Now, the disciples are a bit bamboozled here. They're asking each other, what does he mean? What's he mean? A little while and a little while. And <clears throat> what they're really asking is, because they're coming out of a heart that's going, what's going on here? We've got a Messiah who we're waiting to bring in the kingdom. Maybe he's going to run right over the top of those Romans any moment now. And then he turns around and says, and by the way, I- I'm going, I'm leaving. And now he's talking about going away for a little while, but then in a little while um, I'll be back again. And what does it all mean? And then Jesus sees their struggling and, and responds. Uh, verse 19, now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said a little while and you will not see me in again a little while and you will see me and so on. And they, they're still struggling. So he gives them a metaphor to try and make it clear that Jesus often spoke in figurative language. So then he gives this analogy from verse 21 of a woman when she is in labour has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, You now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. So he's using this analogy to say, this is going to be you. Uh, Just picture a woman going through childbirth. Now, I'm not an expert on childbirth. Maybe some mums might be able to give us some um, stories of, you know, difficulties or I do remember my mother-in-law telling me, but at the moment of anguish and pain in her childbirth, she'd for the months leading up had discussed with her uh, the name of the baby and they'd settled it. But she said, My husband scammed me because right at the moment when I'm so out of it, she's he, he comes, whispers in her ear, and says, well, What about instead we name her Diana? and she goes. I was so out of it. I just went, oh, whatever, you know. <laughs> and so I, I tried that. <laughs> when my wife was about to give birth, and we'd already settled on the name, and I, I thought, I'll get her. And she right at that moment, the anguish and everything, and I said, how about instead we name him after my dad? And she goes, no, his name's Luke. And I, I was writing that name, and I go, Ah. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever you say. <laughs> it works, but in reverse. Anyway, the point is that this, what Jesus is trying to convey here, and there's that moment of birth, of pain and so on, becomes a moment of great joy afterwards when the baby has safely arrived. And this analogy would have spoken so powerfully to those people in the, in the ancient world. Because Every time a mother was about to have a baby, there was a danger of life-threatening danger for the mother and especially the child, every single time. So how much more the joy when mother and baby pull through. This would have really spoken to them. They would have understood what it means. Go through that anxiety, even for the husbands. Is my wife going to survive this? And then the joy when mother and baby survive. So this is the metaphor Jesus is using to describe the grief they're going to experience, the pain, the anguish when Jesus himself dies and then the joy when he rises from the dead. That's what he's he's trying to prepare them for and and that is what Jesus is trying to tell them. Now the only way that all this that Jesus is predicting about his death, his resurrection and all this stuff is going to happen if if Jesus is who he said he is. And that's where he tells them plainly. Let's read verse 28. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. I came from heaven. I came from God himself himself. I entered in this world for a purpose. I've got a purpose to be here. And when I return, I'm going back to God. That is why all these things will happen. It's part of God's plan because I'm from God. That's when the disciples get it. They believe in who he is. Verse 29, his disciples said to him, see, now you are speaking plainly. And using no figure of speech, now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Now we get it. So everything's okay, right? Uh, No more problems? Or maybe not so easy after all. Look what Jesus says in verse 31. Jesus answered them, you believe at last or do you believe at last? In the original Greek language, it's actually a question. Do you really believe? Do you really believe? Because this isn't the end of things. There's still there's still some stuff to come that might not be so easy just because you believe. In fact, that's what he says down in verse 33. These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, trouble or tribulation, literally tribulation, but he be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So he's saying, remember what I've told you. I told you in advance, you're going to have trouble. But don't worry because I've overcome. I've defeated death. I've overcome the world. I can overcome all things. And if you remember that, when the trouble comes, you're going to have peace in me. Now the disciples got it. They finally got it. But John got it perhaps even more powerfully than all the other disciples, possibly from any, any of the other disciples. See, John was just as bit as apprehensive as the others when it comes to you know, listening to Jesus. John's the one who wrote all this down. This is John's Gospel. He wrote it down. Uh, and and he was one of those disciples who was questioning what is Jesus talking about? He's going away, he's leaving, and he was just as apprehensive as the others. And, <clears throat> and what does Jesus mean? We're going to mourn and weep? Is the world going to have its way? That means Jesus is going to die. How can this be good? Um, if the world's rejoicing, that can only mean he's going to be taken from us. And what's all this about the pain of a Uh, a woman bearing children and so on. But John actually got it. And the way he records it, unlike any other gospel writer. Just read those couple of verses with me again in verse 21 and 22 when Jesus using the metaphor of childbirth. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. John notices a little something about the way Jesus spoke and he recorded it. In a way that none of the other gospel writers did. It's to do with time, the right time. He says here there's a time where you're going to be in anguish, there's a time where there's going to be grief, and there's a time where you're going to rejoice. And somehow it clicked for John. In the literal, in the original language, the word time is actually hour. It's to- talking metaphorically about a specific amount of time, a specific time. And John refers, he's, been, he's seen how many times. Remember, John is the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he was close to Jesus. He listened to every word he said. He traveled with him for three years. He saw many times that it looked like the bad guys were winning, it looked like they were going to have their way. But God had a purpose. Every single time. And John weaves this little subplot through the gospel that careful readers of John's gospel over the last 2,000 years have seen this this word time or hour just included in crucial ways that none of the other gospel writers do. And so here we have John who ends up writing this gospel that becomes part of a book that becomes the biggest selling book in the history of the world. That's also strengthened careful readers of his gospel because John's written in a unique way, including this issue of time. There's a time for all things, it has to happen because it's God's time. And God is the God of all time. There's a time, he's saying, when things are going to look bad. It's coming up at his crucifixion. It's just going to be just like a a woman going through the pain of giving birth. But it's timing that God will also bring forth victory and overcome, as he says, in his time, even over the darkest times, the greatest pain. John, of course, saw Jesus' ministry firsthand, and this impacted him. He remembers. Now he is writing in his old age, but he remembers. He remembers the first time that this issue came up, where where Jesus used this this word to talk about the sovereignty of God in time way back there, near the beginning of um, John's Gospel where Jesus performed his first miracle, um, when John and the rest of the disciples and Jesus were invited this wedding. And, you know, they're all there, the disciples, Matthew there, John's there, Thaddeus, Thomas, they're all there. And, of course, this is the occasion where where the um, uh, Jesus' mother Mary uh, comes to him in, in great distress because we're we're going to be facing this big embarrassment with uh, the the wedding celebration. We're running out of wine, and how does Jesus respond? Some people think that you know that's a it's a almost disrespectful, but it wasn't disrespectful. What Jesus was trying to draw Mary to was to be concerned about God's time and the importance of God's plan. Jesus had a mission to reveal himself to Israel, to go to the cross, to save the world. And this is the only gospel, John is the only gospel writer who put it down just as Jesus said, John chapter 2, verse 4. Dear woman, why do you involve me? He says to Mary, Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. Got to wait on God's time, God's plan, God's way. And again, John's the only one who wrote down the story of the Samaritan woman Jesus' encountered there. John 4 verse 21, Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. That's the time of rejoicing. That's the time of salvation. During these three years of ministry, John's written down his account of Jesus' ministry and he weaves these sayings of Jesus, but John uses them himself. And every time things looked impossible, where there's one occasion where Jesus is about to be thrown off the cliff, and yet it says that he walked right through the crowd. How did that happen? It happened because it was not the right time. And John speaks about that when they were trying to kill Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. John wrote it down like this in John 7, verse 30. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. How come? John says because his time had not yet come. They can try all they like, but if it's not God's time, it ain't going to happen. John remembered the word Jesus' own brothers mocking him. John wrote in John 7 verse 8, Jesus says to his brothers, you go to the feast, I'm not yet going up to this feast because for me the right time has not yet come. John got it. John knew when the Pharisees were debating Jesus in the temple, John remembers that, Years later, he wrote down this in John 8, verse 20. Jesus spoke all these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put, yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. On its own, it doesn't seem like much, but none of the other gospel writers include these time sayings. And so we could work our way through all the different Aspects of Jesus' life where it looked like Jesus' time was up, as it were, when they were ready to stone him to death because you and me, a man, claimed to be God and yet he escapes. Why? It was not his time and, and so on. Well, most of the occasions where Jesus or John is referring to this, he's speaking about the time of the cross. And Jesus says in, in chapter 12, verse 23, he says, now my time has come. In other words, the time to go to the cross has saved me from this hour, no, or time, no, this is what I came for. And it all builds up, culminating actually in the next chapter in 17, verse 1, Father, the time has come. So it's all talking about the cross, this specific time of the cross. And that's what our text today is talking about in verse 22 when Jesus says, "So with you, now your time of grief, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice." He's talking about the cross and his resurrection. that's the time that's the time he's referring to <clears throat> But that's not all Jesus is saying in this text about time. He's not just talking about the cross and his resurrection. It is the central thing of what he's talking about, but he's talking about the sovereignty of God in the right time for him to go to the cross and his resurrection. But then in verse 32 and 33, he talks about a time when the disciples are going to go through their trouble, tribulation. And again, just like he's describe his own time going to the cross and the resurrection, so too the disciples have their time of trouble, but he says, don't worry because I've overcome the world. Jesus was teaching his disciples not only about his own destiny, but also for the disciples, those who follow him, expect that you will have times of trouble that God is the God of those times and he will overcome. In fact, how did you come to be here tonight and believe in Jesus? You worked up enough moral courage in yourself to choose Jesus and be a good person? Is that what it was? Or did God, through his Holy Spirit, speak to you but not only speak to you, what does Act 17 say yeah, in verse 26? God determined the time set for them. He placed people in all different countries and all different nations all over the world and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God, the God of all time, put people in exact places times and places, even the people who cross their path, even the bad things that happen are under the sovereign control. Though He's not the author of the evil, but he is under the sovereign control of all things that happen. Why? Well, the next verse in Acts 17 says, God did this so that men would seek him, perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. What is that telling us? He is the God of all time and place, everything, nothing is happening by chance and coincidence. So what Jesus is teaching, something of what the Ecclesiastes writer says, you know, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to, you know, all that stuff, and no one knows what time it is, right, except for God. (laughs) That's the problem. Then the Ecclesiastes writer goes on to say, but God has made everything beautiful in its time. He's the God of all time. He doesn't just do things arbitrarily. So John doesn't want us to read these time sayings throughout this gospel and come to it like some New Agey kind of watery nonsense. You know that well, your time, time's up, or you know wasn't meant to be. Like, what's that mean? You know, like okay, how come it wasn't meant to be? How come it isn't the right time? Why isn't the the time right? Uh, What what John, through Jesus, is trying to say is that he has a plan in time. Like we might ask, why didn't Jesus die by being thrown off a cliff as they tried to kill him? Many times or being stoned to death by a mob violence. And some people actually think, well, it wouldn't have made any difference. He died for our sins. No, it would have made a lot of difference. He wouldn't have been dying for our sins if he just got thrown off a cliff. He had to get to Jerusalem to die under law to be our substitute where we've broken the law so that he is our saviour. He couldn't die at any old time. It had to be a specific time, a specific place for a specific purpose and he had to die under law. But the big picture is because Jesus is the God of all time. The time is planned. Your time is planned. So there's a plan behind your time in your place and the people who are in your lives and the things that have happened to you. Some of them are what brought you to know the Lord, the people who crossed your path in that time. Or maybe others you've brought to the Lord because God put you there. It wasn't you, it was God who was putting you in the exact time in that person's place. But that also means that there's no such thing as what if, if only. Look at this bad thing that happened back there. If only I'd made that choice and, you know, uh, if only I could have had that or had done this or the old what ifs. They're straight from the pit of hell. There's no such thing. We make mistakes but God doesn't. I don't know whether any of you are waiting on God for an answer to prayer for something, maybe taking a long time. That's the key. It's got to be the right time, God's time. doesn't mean he's forgotten you, but it's got to be his time. Maybe going through a trial that doesn't seem to end or a temptation that's hard to throw off. Keep clinging to God and believing in his time. And that's the key, believing that his time is right and I'm wrong. I think I reckon I can, just like those people in the Garden of Eden so long ago thought they could you know, tell God how it's really going to do. Better if I take this and I'll have the wisdom. Trust in God's time. Remember that uh, scripture where Jesus says in, in Matthew 10 where the sparrow that falls to the ground, I've seen it written up this way where uh, in a children's book, you know, God knows where every sparrow falls to the ground. That's rubbish. God doesn't just know where every sparrow falls. No sparrow falls to the ground apart from the will of your father. His time, every single sparrow falls to the ground is, is right on time. God worked out everything. And that includes our lives and what we go through. But don't forget the last bit where Jesus says, but I overcome. I've overcome the world. Just as we go through the grief and he tells his disciples, you're going to go through tough times, but don't worry because I've overcome the world. And he does. And there will be that rejoicing as well, both in this life and the life to come as, we, as he brings us through those trials. But the real question is, do you believe in this Jesus? Or have you got another Jesus where time and chance and luck happen? Or do you believe in this Jesus? Just like the disciples came to really know here. Now we see that you're speaking plainly. You are from God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how can we ever thank you enough that you put us in an exact time? Maybe it was our parents or maybe it was friends who crossed our path or maybe bad things happened to us, whatever it is, you brought us to believe in Jesus by putting us in an exact time and place. And Lord, we've also gone through difficult times and trials and pain. We thank you, Lord, for this warning here that we should have expected it, but we should also expect that in your time we will rejoice and we will overcome because you have overcome. And Lord, we just want to praise you your grace in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. More messages of hope at essendonpresbyterianchurch.org.au or wherever you get your podcasts from.